Hey there, folks. Is China's space expansion threatening U.S. supremacy now into space? I'm Aaron Young. Let's find out. Now, streaming right around the world, this is Ticker Today. Great to be with you wherever you're watching in this world or out of this world, also on Ticker Today. Implications, what does China have about their lunar base now on the future of space exploration? But first today... It is our China Today segment right here on Ticker. And as China accelerates its space program, the U.S. finds itself navigating uncharted territory, grappling with the implications of an emerging space power. For more, we're joined by China insider David Jiang, who's in New York for us. David, great to see you. Um, talk to us about what we know about China's space program and the reasons for it. Aaron, it's good to give a context to the audience first. The reason why China needs to explore space and, and high technology, it is because in this new Cold War, the bottom line in which both the U.S. and China and other first world countries start on is in fact space and high technology where there is still competitiveness for China to explore in the traditional sense of military race, such as maybe the naval or aerial sort of competition. It is very much siding with the United States and so on. So China exploring space it is to one up the United States and allies because this is the domain in which not many, uh, I would say, even neglected for the very uh, end of the last Cold War. So this one is picking up right where it stops. And uh, I think that's the focus, which is to one up the United States. Same thing is happening with semiconductors and other high technology, including AI as well. I feel like there's a lot of stuff happening in the space world that we don't know about. If you go back to the 1950s and the 60s, the genesis of the space race after World War, the beginning of the Cold War as well, when uh, the United USSR put up Sputnik uh, into space, a basketball-sized object that was heading around the world, there was a lot of concern in the United States, newspaper front pages really warning people, and that led to the United States really trying to get um, astronauts in space, and then obviously 1969, the moon landing quietened down after that, partly because of the huge cost. And then we saw an era in the 90s of the International Space Station coming together where Russia and the US were working on the one project. Now it's broken up again. Everyone's doing their own thing. Why is that, do you think? I think this is uh, very interesting. You mentioned cost because the characteristic of how the last Cold War ended, it was one side uh, essentially had no more money to spend on this program. And we're actually seeing a reflection of that today with China's economy. How much more juice do they have to pump into the space exploration program? Now, given uh, with that being said, today we're actually seeing this bipolar world order uh, sort of starting to shape up where you have China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea being on one side. And so the rest of the free world on the other side, in that sense, you could say that today they've joined a different sort of party to do the space war, space competition together. And I think we're simply repeating the events of the past, but with different names now to talk about this new uh, era. Well, different names, but of course, we know that Russia is pretty much involved as well with the idea just over the past few weeks that they might be using some sort of nuclear device that could actually turbocharge and blow up satellites in space, which seems to be the new frontier. Is that the reason why? Because we have so much of an emphasis on GPS and satellite communication that happens outside of this world now, that countries like China, knowing that there could be an impending collision course with the United States in a couple of years or whenever it might be, want to be there so that they can actually, uh, I, I guess, be prepared should the war happen in space. 
Yeah, my, my only concern, Aaron, I totally agree with you. The only concern I have is uh, when you try to one up each other, at what point do you have restrictions on what the other side could offer? Now, I understand that the United States, Australia being another important member of space exploration, uh, I, I think there's more restrictions, but there's also political restrictions. But the other side, we're looking at dictatorships who, in their mind, the intent of space exploration is to weaponize space. As you mentioned, whether that's nuclear capability in space or whether that's even in the near space domain with the spy balloons uh, or some so- sort of a, a electromagnetic wave uh, pulse that would you know, essentially – jam all the radars for a time being uh, when they try to, say, invade Taiwan or whatnot. I think there's less of a bound by restriction. And this also applies to other areas like AI, uh, high technology industries as well. So I think that's the only concern I have of where this is going and how far that's going to take. Now, back in the Cold War with nuclear missiles, we had the treaty, the SARS treaty. Uh, will we see something like that where both sides could agree on limiting the weaponization of space? I think that's that might be something to look for. Uh, in diplomacy wise, but otherwise, if it's unrestricted, that could bring a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about the technology as well, contributing to China's challenge in space. Are they able to get everything they need to do as good a job as NASA and SpaceX? Well, that's interesting because SpaceX, I think, is more at the forefront of space exploration than NASA is today. Uh, in China, of course, everything is state run. In terms of resources, China, of course, has the capability to build everything. Uh, but I, I do have one question, which is, you know, from the articles that we've been seeing from experts that we've been listening to, they're saying that China is using sort of, you know, these satellites that could grab onto other satellites. So it seems like the uh, methods in which they try to explore space always has that weapon or military sense mm-hmm. to it. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, they are prepared to do this. The question is whether or not they can last a long time. Again, you know, funding is one of the big factors in this. It is very expensive to go to space and it is something that determined the result of the last Cold War. So it could repeat itself again. It's funny that China is falling into the trap of the USSR, isn't it? That idea of the national pride getting in the way of the bookkeepers coming in saying, you know, the Chinese economy isn't doing too well at the moment. Maybe don't spend the money putting men on space. But that is what they intend to do. Have a look at this picture. This is their lunar lander uh, there as well. We know in terms of Chinese ambitions, they want to have the first crewed lunar mission before 2030. So that is about, well, five or six years from now. And the space agency over the weekend unveiling the names of space and the moon lander. Um, So we know that they are working really, really hard at this uh, and they're building bigger rockets to get there. Is this about trying to say to the United States, hey, we can get on the moon too, albeit 50, 60 years after you did? Or is this an idea of uh, they need to get to the moon because they want to take some sort of ownership, just as we're seeing that they are in Antarctica? I think both. Uh, In the short term, it's a narrative sort of warfare uh, that we can get there before you or we can do this too. Uh, in the long term, it's definitely a, a plan in which space becomes a domain that China can easily control or at least in parts of. Uh, Xi Jinping said to Biden in their last meeting that they could divide the Pacific Ocean in half in, in terms of being able to rival the United States on Earth. So the long term plan is to expand that above us and below us. And so this is definitely where they're looking to uh, expand to in the long term. Short term, though, I believe right now it is still a narrative control on how people see China's development in terms of aerospace, in terms of weaponization of, of different military tools, as well as technology. 
Talk to us about India with all this as well and how the international community, I guess, views the changing dynamics there too, um, because we know that India has been getting in on the space action as well. Um, obviously, we talk about the United States and China's rivalry, but there are no two people on the planet who seem to despise each other more than the Indians and the Chinese sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting point because I think India's role today, uh, they're, they're on their way to almost become the replacement of China on the ground. And uh, I, I do believe that they have the potential to also participate in this. Who they choose to sort of, you know, side with in this uh, conflict, I think that would be interesting to see. My guess is probably with the United States. Uh, the competition with China, though, I think one key important factor to this is how much of potential uh, China has still in its pockets versus India. And uh, we've, with what we've seen, we've seen so far, I think India has more potential. And so in the long term, I think the favor is uh, tilted to the Indian side versus that of China. Yeah, it's been this incredible rush, right? And India talking about how they'll have the first Indian on the moon by 2040. So that would be 10 years later than China, if China does actually happen, of course, um, because it isn't as easy as you might suggest, I think is the key that we can see here. Um, in terms of the, the relationship between the United States and India, you say that they're likely to link up. Could you envisage a path for China and Russia to actually have a joint operation together to get to the moon and, and, and to bring, um, I guess, their ideas more aligned as we're seeing more militarily in that relationship growing between Xi Jinping, the president for life, as it seems, and also uh, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, definitely. As long as Xi and Putin are both the person in power in their respective role, I believe that the relationship will extend to space. Uh, in terms of India and the United States, I think it has to be a more convoluted relationship. You know, there's trade, but there's also the relationship with Pakistan, uh, how the U.S. see that relationship there. So it, it's a little bit more, a little bit more complicated. But I think one point to highlight too, I didn't mention this earlier, which is uh, China in 2015 was talking about made in China 2025. And now, you know, we're close to that 2025 mark, but they, they're no longer talking about that. So with China's long term plans, you have to realize, you know, until the day that we actually see it happen before our eyes, it's very hard to tell where things could go. And I think that's the issue here, which is uh, should we be scared of that uh, versus the reality in past experience? We've seen that Made in China 2025 is an example where it has not materialized as much as Xi Jinping hoped for. And so we'll see where it goes with the moon landing or with the space I mean, they're pretty busy, right? Like you're, you're talking about China and we know that they have intentions to take back Taiwan as Chinese territory, as they believe it already is. Uh, then to get to the moon as well and to be setting up a base there and a manned mission by the end of the decade as well. I'm interested in your thoughts just before we leave. It's obviously a pretty big election year. Donald Trump was the one who kicked off the anti-Chinese rhetoric that has been continued by the current Biden administration. We think about how he referred to to uh, COVID as the Kung flu, for example, and brought a whole bunch of tariffs. How do you think China will be viewing the US election race this year? This is one year where I am very conflicted in terms of uh, which side, you know, shows a better China plan. Now, we've seen some stuff from both sides. You can, you know, there's a lot of criticism for both, of course. Um, I think at the, <clears throat> at the end of the day, what China's looking for is simply somebody that can not move as fast. And in that sense, I think Trump was uh, fast in terms of putting in those tariffs and measures. And I think that's what China doesn't want to see. But at the end of the day, it's really up to the moment for each president. So I, I hold my judgment for that. But uh, I think it's a little bit exciting to Trump for now. 
Have you been surprised how strong uh, we have seen the, the relationship, I guess, deteriorate uh, further under the Biden leadership? I, I do note over the weekend, China panda diplomacy was back up. There'll be pandas sent to the United States Zoo, for example, as a, a bit of a, an olive branch. Yeah, definitely. I think they have to take pauses uh, in between their, you know, downward spiral. And uh, this is just one of those pauses that we're seeing. I love how there's just these pandas in planes flying around the world, uh, depending on what the relationship is between the leader of the United States or China. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's what's needed. You know, the only thing China can export that's not going to draw people's anger right now today, I believe, are cute panda bears. No <laughs> Everything tariffs. else is up to uh, to discussion. No tariffs on cuddly pandas. David Zhang, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much for watching. Keen to get your thoughts on this. At any time, use a hashtag ticker or email us news at tickernews.co. Head to the website for more stories like this too, tickernews.co. I'll see you soon. You're watching Ticker. We'll have more in just a few minutes.